Good morning, New Life Church. It's so good to see you. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time here, I'm really glad you're here. If this is you were here last week, I'm really glad you're here. If you've been um, part of New Life Church for a long time and this is your first time in this building for a while, I'm really glad you're here and I love you. I'm really pumped about this message. Um, have you guys ever thrown a good party? A real proper party, a party where people actually want to be there. You know, you know the kind of party I'm talking about? You purchased the right food, you marinated the chicken, or you marinated the, the flank steak for a while, and you put it on the grill, and people come in and there's appetizers, and, and, not, and good appetizers, like bacon-wrapped dates, and guacamole, and chips, and the good kind of chips, the ones that you can actually dip the guacamole and the chip doesn't break. And there's, there's the right kind of drinks in the cooler or you, you make a drink for someone as they come in. Everything's going well. There's music and the music is just loud enough that it fills the silence, but it doesn't kill conversation. And there's people hanging out in the living room and there's people on the back patio and there's a fire on the back patio and they're hanging out and there's real conversation, not this shallow, weird stuff. And how do I get out of this? There's friendship happening. There's love happening. There, people care about each other. I love those kind of parties. I wish I was better at making those kind of parties. And maybe you're picturing this in, I'm picturing this in my house and where, where people would sit in the living room and, and how much I would turn the speakers up and, and where they would go to the back. And maybe you're picturing this in your house and you have this party going on and, and the people you care about are there. The people you love are there. And then someone knocks on the door and talks to one of your friends and, hey, he invited Jim? Do you know Jim? Jim is not a savory fellow. He, he says things you don't want people saying around people. Do you know what he does on the weekends? Do you know? I think he's a bad influence. I don't know, I don't know why you invited him to this party. I think he's gonna stain you. I think it's gonna, it's gonna be bad. And what do you, what do you do when that happens? What do you do? This morning we're gonna hear a story about someone who has an encounter with Jesus, starts following Jesus, and because of that, engages with his friends with a party. And my hope is that as we open up the Bible, we will together be excited to throw the same type of parties, and we will want to be party throwers. Because compassionate engagement with the sick and the sinners, just like that song was talking about, compassionate engagement with them is the proper response to following Jesus compassionate engagement. Grab your Bibles, open that app. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one right in front of you, um, or you can open up the app store, type ESV, and that first one that pops up, that's a great app. You can use that. Um, We are putting Romans on hold for a little bit. Um, We're just about to jump into our recurring summer series in Psalms, where we look through the different lyrics of the Psalms in Scripture. But for the next two weeks, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. So turn to the book of Matthew, and Matthew wrote a gospel. And a gospel is a story about Jesus or a narrative about Jesus. Basically, Matthew is going to tell us about Jesus and what he did. So if you have that app or you have your Bible, open to chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 9.
says in verse nine, and Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. A bit of backdrop. Jesus is traveling around the Sea of Galilee and it's all around the Sea of Galilee. He there's towns and he's going and proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the kingdom. And uh, just before this, as he passed on from there, he just healed a paralytic man. And you have to understand the Sea of Galilee is a, a large lake, maybe even a, a medium, medium lake. Um, if you've been to Lake Shasta, it's not that big. Um, you could you could boat across across the, the long side of the lake in about 20 minutes in a ski boat. It's really quick. And all around this lake, you have little little towns, little villages, not even cities, little fishing villages where people are, are on the sea catching fish, selling them little pockets of community. Nowadays, it's it's more of a vacation villa. It's small. And and this young rabbi, Jesus, is walking around this lake or boating across this lake. And he'll be on one side and he'll call the disciples and you could see the other side of the lake and he'd go to the other side and he'd proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God and he'd go to some other spot and, pro- and and heal people of their diseases just north of where this story takes place he gets on this little hill and he he preaches a sermon you may have heard of the sermon on the mount and then he he goes to another spot and cleanses a leper he cleanses this or heals the servant of a centurion a soldier basically a police officer he gets in a boat and he's out on this sea and it's really turbulent the way that the winds come into this valley and it gets crazy and, and there's a bunch of waves and he calms the sea. You may have heard that story. And then he goes to one side of the sea. He heals, he heals a man that had two demons and then he goes to the other side and he heals the man who's a paralytic and we land right here on this side of the Galilee. He's been proclaiming that the kingdom of God is coming, that God has come down to rescue. This is not a typical rabbi uh, spouting teachings or saying, here's a, here's a good way to live. He's, he's talking about distinct things all around this little region we call Galilee. And he passes on from the one spot and he comes to this spot to a tax booth. Think customs at the airport or, or imagine you go to the Bridge of the Gods or the Hood River Bridge and you have to stop and you have to give them the money or the dollar and you realize, I don't have cash anymore. Who has cash? And you have to figure that out, that kind of booth. And here is this guy, Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And why is he sitting at the tax booth? Because he's a tax collector. That's what Matthew does. Now, we don't like tax collectors. I don't know about you. I don't like tax collectors because we don't like taxes, right? IRS, uh, Internal Revenue Service. It's not April. We can breathe for a little while. Um, But in this time, there was an acute stigma against tax collectors. During this time, the land of the Jews, including this land of Galilee, was controlled by the Romans. They were being oppressed and and hemmed in by the Romans. And the Romans, through their servant Herod and the family of Herod, they ruled Galilee. And they wanted to get taxes. And so these people um, and Herod would, would send out tax collectors. And the Jews hated Herod. He was an evil guy. His dad was an evil guy. His brother was an evil guy. All Their name is Herod. You don't want to hang out with them. They're terrible people. And the Jews hated Herod and they hated the Romans. And so if you were a tax collector, and specifically like Matthew, a Jewish tax collector, you were seen as a oppressive Roman sympathizer. I'm okay with Rome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect their taxes and give their, your money to them. I'm okay with them. You were seen as a sympathizer. And not only that, you, you would take the money and if you took anything extra, you could, you'd keep it as profit. 
So a lot of these tax collectors would take, oh, you owe $100, well, it's, it's $150. And they would take that extra 50 and that's profit. And they were stigmatized. People hated tax collectors because they sympathized with people that were oppressive to them and they oppressed them themselves. They took money that they didn't need to take. And we don't know how egregious Matthew was as a tax collector, but he was at very least part of that society, a member of that group. And the Jewish culture didn't like them. They looked down on the tax collectors. So Jesus gets to this toll booth and he says to Matthew, follow me. We don't know how much about Jesus Matthew had heard, but I'm confident with this little village, he had at least heard what was going on over there or over there. I don't, we don't know if he saw something. We don't know if he sat at the Sermon on the Mount and listened in the background. We don't know if some type of miracle had happened in front of him. But he probably heard what was going on. He heard that this Jesus guy was saying, rescue is coming, rescue is here. And Jesus walks up to this toll booth and looks at Matthew and says, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. I love that. It's just this simple Quiet moment. This guy is walking around Galilee, walks up to this tax booth. Follow me. There's not a miracle. There's not some crazy exchange that happens. And Matthew says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you. And, and when a rabbi says, follow me, he's saying, I want you to walk with me. I want you to walk in my steps. Walk in my footprints. Do what I do. Learn how I live life. Be like me. And he says this to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew gets out of the tax booth and walks away and aligns his life with Jesus and follows Jesus for the rest of his life. I love that. He leaves the tax booth. It's not a flashy encounter with God. It's just a decision to follow Jesus. In verse 10, the story continues. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. This next part of the story, we have Jesus reclining at ta- table in the house. It just says the house. Whose house? Matthew seems to be a little bit bashful here. Um, in Luke's gospel, another story about Jesus, another narrative. Luke says that's Levi's house, and Matthew's second name. That's Matthew's house. Matthew invited Jesus into the house. Matthew threw this party, and Jesus is reclining at table. And this is more than just sitting down for a business lunch. This is not, we're going to get McDonald's, Big Mac, Big Mac. Okay, we'll get some fries, extra large soda. This is more than that. This is reclining at table. They had the table set down low so you'd have cushions on the ground and you would, you would lay and recline on an elbow and eat the grapes and the pita and the hummus and the olives and the figs, the bacon wrap figs. And this has the idea that you are associating yourself with someone around a meal. You're not just doing the business lunch. You're not just there because you have to eat. You are with these people. You are present with these people. If someone said you associated with them, you would be okay with that because you're reclining at table with them. This is the reason we do food at Life Group. Because we are associating ourselves with each other and we are going to create a place where we share life together. We eat food together. I don't have cushions at my house. We should, we should work on that, maybe. And it says, Behold, look out, basically. Check this out. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
So Jesus is with Matthew and Jesus is with his disciples and they're associating with each other. We'd expect that. But look, the tax collectors and sinners are also around the table, associating with Jesus, being with Jesus, being present with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus. And this tag team of tax collectors and sinners, this is the classic bunch of unsavory people in the Gospels. This is the Jews' way of, of disparaging them and saying the unmentionables. The sinners would include the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the ungodly, the prostitutes, the thieves, the broken, the crazy, the ones that are isolated, the outcasts, those on the fringes of society, those who did not identify with the people of God and those that the people of God did not identify with. And this this passage is supposed to say, well, why? why are they there? I understand that Jesus would associate with his disciples, recline at table with his disciples, but why are the tax collectors and sinners there? Who would have known them? Who knows the tax collectors and sinners? Matthew knows them. Matthew knows them. I love this. Matthew has this simple life change moment. I'm going to follow Jesus. He has good news. And he throws a party at his house with good food and good drink for Jesus and his disciples, and he invites all his fellow tax collectors and sinners. The outcasts are the guests. The sinners are the guests at this party. And they're having a party. Luke says a great feast. Matthew just started following Jesus, the rescuer of the world, and he's pumped about this. You don't throw a party if you're not pumped. He's pumped about this. And he says, let's throw a party, and I'm going to invite my fellow outcasts because they need to meet this guy. I just want them to be in the same room together. And Jesus is there hanging out with them, associating with them, those sinners. I'm sure he was listening to them, befriending them, hearing them, being with them. There are great things happening at this party. And can I just note that that Matthew doesn't tell us if Jesus said or taught or maneuvered people towards conversion. It doesn't seem like he he lured them in with food and then pulled a a chick comic pamphlet out of his back pocket. Or, or, I have a presentation in the room over here I want you to see. Or turns the music down and, and preaches a sermon. He's with them. He's associating with them. He loves them. He's befriending them. And can I just be honest for all of us? Many of us don't know how to do this. We have so isolated ourselves from the world that we all too easily only interact with Christians. We only interact with our fellow Christians and have forgotten or never knew how to befriend people. We don't know how to do that. How to associate with people, how to love them, how to throw a party that is fun. I'll just confess for at least me, and I'm sure you guys can jump on some of this. And Matthew and Jesus are being great Examples of this. Matthew opening up his house to throw a party in the presence of Jesus and Jesus associating with the outcasts, being with people, being present with people, compassionately engaging with people. But then we hear the literary knock on the door. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees seem to interrupt this party almost as if they're crashing it. They are the religious elite. They got it together. 
They know they are God's people. They know how to act. They know the right things to say. They know the right things to do. They know the right days to do them on. You know who they are. You might say, ah, that sounds like me. I know, I know who they are. And you can almost see them walking down the street to go to another study or to go pray publicly and do this event or something. And they're walking and they hear something loud going on in this, in this house. And the door is open and they hear music that I do not think is contemporary Christian music. Is that hip hop? Kendrick Lamar? The weekend? And they, they, they peek their head in the door and they, they see some of, they see Jesus, that rabbi, he's been walking around Galilee, okay. They see his disciples. Okay, that makes sense. And they see tax collectors and sinners. And they pull one of the disciples over. And it's as though they're looking and they, they, if we were to bring it into our time, they look and they see the person that's aligned to the wrong political party. You sympathize with the wrong leaders. They see the person that has the job they don't approve of. They see that lady that, that cusses a bunch at work. They see that person that is a bad influence. And that one just weird guy. The gay couple from down the street, the one who smokes weed, or who knows what in that other house. They see the tattooed guy. They see the prostitute. They see the outcast, the single moms and the divorcees. The alcoholic who's trying to keep it together, the rowdy college kids, the psychologically broken, the addicted. And they pull Jesus' disciples over and ask, why does your teacher eat with them? Why does your teacher associate with them? Why is Jesus hanging out with them? Do you know what they do? Do you know that you could be influenced by them? You guys seem to be hanging out with the wrong crowd. Don't you know that you might get soiled or stained by their presence? And I could spend a good amount of time raking the Pharisees over the coals because of their heartless, cruel question but I know that oftentimes I have played their role in this story. And maybe you identify with their questions. I've been the one that thinks he has it all together and thinking, you better clean yourself up before you come and associate with God. You better figure out the right things to do. And every time my thinking swings that direction and goes to that question, I am forgetting the gospel. Every time. Jesus will remind us of the gospel. Let's look at Jesus' response. The Pharisees say, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, in verse 12, But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus hears them. It's, it's, it's as though he hears them at the door and he speaks up and quickly dispatches them. He says, I am like a doctor. I am going to find the sick people. I'm going to heal them. Those with the maladies, those with the injuries, those that are bleeding, the passed out. I'm the doctor. You have, you have these two guys walk into an emergency room. 
they, they think they're healthy. Everything's fine. They just want to go and get a yearly checkup and be told, you look good. See you next year. So they, they go to the emergency room and they, they put their name in and they sit down and read the paper or read the magazine or whatever it is. And they start seeing a bunch of sickly people come in. They're, they're walking in and they, they, they seem to be going and being waited upon and being looked at. A couple people on gurneys that seem to be in critical condition. One guy bleeding from the head. Another person, I think he's overdosing. And they're thinking, what stupid decision did these people make? What is going on? And they sit there for a little while longer and after a couple minutes, I think the doctor's seeing them before us. We were definitely here first. What do you, why do you think he's doing that? I mean, it's first come, first serve. I, they should have seen us. And they go up to the nurse's station and they say, excuse me, the doctor seems to be hanging out with those people that came in on the gurneys and the one that had the wound on his head, um, the one that I don't know where his leg was. Um, why is he spending time with them? And the doctor, hearing this absurd comment fall out of their mouths, I almost see him with the gloves on, ready to go into surgery, pokes his head out of the room. This is an emergency room and I'm a doctor. That's why I'm with the sick people. That's why I'm with the bleeding people. Jesus says, I am a doctor and I'm here for the sick. He just in shorthand describes the good news. There is a broken world full of broken people and they are all permeated by the effects of sin. They are broken and hurt and sick and guilty and shamed and disadvantaged and abused. And the good news is that a good physician, a good doctor, broke into that reality and says, where are the sick? Where are the sick? I want to be with them. I want to mend them. I want to help them. I want to associate myself with them. The nurse in the cancer ward, the medic on the battlefield, the good Samaritans that stand up when someone unexpectedly goes down to the ground, the grace-filled people who put themselves at the side of the sick during the plagues and the epidemics of the past, these are all small pictures of the work Jesus is doing every day. He says, I will be with the sick. I will go where they are. I will be with them. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I'm here to heal people. Jesus is the physician that will go seek out the maladies and help the sick. He will find the outcasts who are afraid to even go into the emergency room. He will go find them. Too ashamed of their condition. Jesus is the mender of hearts and minds. Jesus is a rescuer. Jesus is a fixer. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a redeemer. Jesus is a gracious doctor. He says, I'm here for the sick. Jesus then tells them abiding comment. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. This was a rabbinical phrase a rabbi, a teacher, would tell to his students. Basically, why don't you go home, read your textbook, and you come back tomorrow tomorrow, and you let me know what it means. Go do your homework, and then you can tell me what it means. And Jesus turns and says this to the Pharisees, the teachers of Israel. Of all people, they say they know their Bibles better than anyone. 
They write the rules that are supposed to be in line with the Bible. They told people how to interpret the book. They knew their Bible so well they made additional rules to make sure that they didn't break the rules in the Bible. They, mem- they had whole portions and books of Scripture memorized. They were pumped about that. And Jesus turns and looks at them and said, you should know your Bibles, Bible teachers. Why don't you go home, open up your app to this one little verse and learn what it means? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. There's a, there's a memory verse, six words. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is from the book of Hosea. A book the Pharisees had in their Bibles, in their scrolls. A book they would have known. A devastating book that describes the evil and the whoring of the, of the people of God. It's devastating. If you read that book, it just cuts to your heart. A book of a prophet telling the people of God, you are sick. You are evil. You need relationship with God. In Hosea 6, 7 through 10, he, he describes what the people of God are doing. 7 says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead, that, that'd be one of the cities in, as a way to describe the whole land. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. Think, think the elders. The elders band together like robbers lie in wait for someone. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Another, another name to describe the whole. Israel is defiled. Hosea is saying, it's not, we're not okay. You say you're the people of God. You say you know what you're supposed to do. We're not okay. In chapter 5, 13, he says, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria, another land, another place where they worship different gods, little gods, the wrong gods. You went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. That is not the doctor. He's not the physician. You can't be healed there. And Hosea the prophet says, he's pleading with the people of God. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. This prophet's saying we, we need to go back to the Lord. He's the one that can heal us. He's the one that can mend our maladies and, and cure us from our sickness. And God says in verse 4 through the mouth of Hosea, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. That's not a compliment. Have you been to Happy Valley and sat on the little hills that look over the valley? In the, in the morning, you'll have a fog that covers the whole land. You can see it. And in a couple hours, it just burns up and it's gone. God's saying, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Your, your love lasts this long. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. He's saying, I'm giving these words to Hosea to cut you to the heart, to help you see that you're sick. And he says in verse 6, For I desire steadfast love 
and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. For I desire steadfast love or mercy or compassion and not sacrifice. They murder and transgress the covenant with God. Israel is defiled evil upon evil being done by the people of God. These aren't people on the outskirts. The people of God are doing evil. And yet they keep doing the religious actions. They keep offering sacrifices and burnt offerings. In other words, they had broken and sick hearts, but they still went to church on Sunday and looked the part and thought that would suffice. This is enough. And God says through Hosea, and Jesus says, quoting them, I desire steadfast love. I desire mercy, compassion, not sacrifice. This is not a rule-following requirement. This is supposed to be a relationship. You and I are supposed to be in a relationship of love, and that relationship should pour out as love and mercy to others. The other sick people, the other sick sinners, You should be caring for people, not waiting for them to do evil against them, not outcasting them, not taking advantage of them. If you understood the healing that God does for you, the love God has for you, a sick and broken person, that should be followed by a compassion, a breaking of the heart for those around you. God says in Hosea, you don't know me. You think you are following the rules and that's all it takes, but you don't know me. I desire knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And when Jesus said, go and learn what this means, the Pharisees would have had all that context in their heads and that would have dropped on their shoulders. He just quoted Hosea. That's the the bad one. We're evil. We're broken. We're sick. Jesus concludes his response with, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says as clearly as can be said, I am here for sinners. I'm here to be with them, associate myself with them. I'm here to eat with them. I'm here to listen. And Jesus wasn't at the party to talk them through their bad decisions and convince them to be good people. He was there to know them. Let me just say, This was not a one-time thing for Jesus. This is not the one party Jesus went to that Matthew threw. Jesus never stopped associating himself with sinners. He was a friend of sinners. He was there for them and answered their questions. He was by their side at hard moments and pointed them to truth and cared for them and loved them and prayed for them. And Jesus was there to die for them because he came to rescue them, because he came to rescue us, because we are sinners too. And the sin that permeates this broken planet and makes everything a wreck came from our sinning hearts. We are the sinners, and Jesus communicates through his death that your sins are serious and have broken the world and are an affront to God, but I will take that on for you. And the glorious good news says that after Jesus died, he rose again, conquering sin. And that resurrection says you, sinner, can have new life, redeemed life. I can heal you. I can mend your maladies. I can revive your heart so that it is one that wants Jesus. And it is one that wants to throw a party so that the fellow broken can be associated with in the presence of Jesus. A person following Jesus who wants to compassionately engage 
those around them who are also sick. That's what the gospel does. And the story of this party ends right here. But I want us to sit back for a second and consider which character are you? Which character are you? Let's choose from the three. There's the Pharisee, there's the party goer, and there's the party thrower. The Pharisee, are you walking by parties and scoffing at the outcasts and the sinners? Are you isolating yourself from the rest of the people around you? Hear Jesus' words. You have a broken heart. The gospel of Jesus is not a list of rules we follow, so we are good people. The good news is that Jesus came on a rescue mission to heal our broken hearts and free us from the broken rhythm of empty religion. He gives us the righteousness of God and has relationship with us. Even us skewed religious people. Being in relationship with God is so much better than trying to find favor from God by being good. It's so much better. Party goer. Are you identifying with the party goers in the story, the outcasts, the tax collectors and the sinners? You, you sit and hear this and go, that's me. I, I wish I could go to that party. The broken, the confused, the shame-filled, the sad, the lonely. Know this, Jesus is a good doctor. Jesus is a good physician. He is a healer of people, a comforter for the broken. The good news of the gospel says that Jesus dealt with sin and guilt and shame on the cross so he can be a friend of sinners, so he can be your friend. Are you a party thrower? Are you like Matthew? I want to be like Matthew. He was one of the outcasts. He was the tax collector and has this simple moment with Jesus, and his response is the best response. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to throw a party because I love my friends, and they need to meet this Jesus guy. We're going to hang out. There's going to be food and drink. It's going to be fun because I love them. I will continue to be their friend and share what I learned. Compassionate engagement with the sick and the sinners is the proper response for those who follow Jesus. I know I need to open up my home to more party-goers. You may know you need to meet more party-goers. You know the way your schedule and life works, that it's hard to meet people and hard to make time for people, and you might need to morph that and change that so you can meet and love people. We should not be hanging out with just Pharisees. We should not be hanging out with just party-throwers. If you are sitting there feeling a little bit ashamed that you are not a good party thrower like Matthew, let's just together let the cat out of the bag and say, yeah, I'm not very good at meeting people and making friends, and it kind of freaks me out. You can say that. That's okay. Let's work on it together, remembering the gospel and have it influence our actions. Let's start over today. There's a handout for the Next Door initiative. You're going to receive it on the way out. And you can, you can read it. There's, this is a way for us together to say, I want to befriend more people, more people on my street, by throwing a party. You can read about that. There will be a forum in June, and we're going to together share ideas about how to throw a good party. We want to be like Matthew.
Let's get good at throwing parties. We have the best motive to do so. We were broken and sick people that were found by the good doctor, Jesus, and that is good news. This morning, we get to celebrate that God, that good news by participating in communion. We have the tables at the front and the back. We were going to remember the broken body and shed blood of our Savior who died for us because he came to call sinners. Whether we sit as Pharisees or partygoers, outcasts, or party throwers, we have reason to be glad because Jesus' death is given to forgive and heal us. If you believe that good news, then I would invite you to participate in communion with us. And together we can sing loudly, the broken religious, the shamed sick, or the glad redeemed because of the new life Jesus gave us. Over the next two songs, you can get up and you can come and grab the elements um, from the places in the front or the back. After two songs, we're going to take communion together. I know that's a little bit different than we usually do. There are going to be pastors or elders at the front and the back, and they want to pray for you. Over the next two songs, the rest of the service, after the service, if you feel like a Pharisee or an outcast, um, or you want courage to be a party goer or party thrower, we want to pray for you. And why don't you take advantage of that this morning? Let's pray.